All right. Well, first, I have to start off um, by apologizing uh, to you, Parikh, because I sent you the wrong, the incorrect verse. Um, we are doing this verse, but I actually am finishing the book all the way to 14, and I, I, I wrote 11, so that's my fault. We are finishing First Peter today. Uh, so just so you know, if you want to read uh, 12 through 14 right now, feel free to do so, but um, I'll cover it when we, when we get into the sermon. So. Uh, so last Sunday was Father's Day. I hope all of you dads out there had a wonderful day. As I was thinking about the journey that fathers and sons take through the years, as their sons grow from infancy to young adulthood, it made me think about the title of Dad versus Daddy. At some point during childhood, most of us transition away from calling our fathers daddy, opting for a mature moniker like dad, or in my case, padre, <laughs> or paparoni, is that the other one? Yeah. Uh, this, this comes uh, as a natural part of our transition from the dependence of childhood to the growing independence of adolescence and young adulthood. In our life cycle, we tend to grow up to become more independent and eventually leave home in most cases. But it's interesting to note that, sp that spiritual maturity actually happens in exactly the opposite way. Rather than become more independent as we grow more spiritually mature, the Spirit of God prompts us toward a greater state of dependence. God wants us to call Him Daddy. God wants us to be more and more dependent on Him as we grow into spiritual maturity. This was the Apostle Paul's point uh, in Galatians 4, 6, when he writes, because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. Abba being the Aramaic word for daddy. When we face trials and difficult times in our lives, rather than saying, it's okay, dad, I got this, the spirit prompts us to cry out, I need you, daddy. Growing in spiritual maturity means growing more dependent on God. Peter touches on this type of dependence uh, on God in the verses that we'll be discussing today when he speaks about humbling ourselves before God. The humility that Peter is talking about here is utter dependence on God, complete trust in his sovereignty, and less reliance on our own abilities. But this leads us to a question that must be answered. Does God really care? Before we can humble ourselves, before we can completely trust His sovereignty and rely more on Him and less on ourselves, we need to answer this question of whether God really cares about us. This question especially comes up when we're going through trials, does it not? And God seems distant to us in those times. Sometimes it feels as though God doesn't care about the little things and that He's left us to our own devices, especially when we're in the midst of suffering. But is that true? Let's take a look at what Peter has to say in the last verses of uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. Today, uh, I have the honor to close out the book of 1 Peter that we've been working through for the last several weeks. Last week, Jason, uh, if you were here, talked about uh, verses 1 through 5 in chapter 5, outlining the requirements and expectations of an elder in the church. Then in verse 5, it transitions into how we are to be subject to those elders. And then Peter admonishes everyone to clothe themselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. 
which Peter is quoting from Proverbs uh, 3.34. Then, starting in verse 6, Peter expands on that, uh, on that therefore, tying the verses uh, from last week into the verses that we'll look at today. Peter says in verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Humility does not come naturally to us humans. To humble ourselves, it would have to be an act of the will, since humility is so foreign to human nature. But when we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, when uh, we are submitting to His care and protection, when we humble ourselves and receive what God has for us in this life, we are accepting His sovereign rule over us. The persecuted Christians in Asia Minor, to whom Peter was writing, would be encouraged because the same mighty hand of God that allowed them to go through suffering and persecution will, at the proper time, lift them up and exalt them. The proper time here could mean God's perfect timing, uh, but more likely Peter was thinking of the last day when Jesus would appear and everyone who followed faithfully would be exalted and given eternal glory. At the time when Peter sent this letter to the believers in Asia Minor, they were passing through the fires of affliction. Now, these trials were not sent by God, but were permitted by God. Peter is saying that the best practice is to take these afflictions humbly from God's hand, because not only will God sustain us through the trials, but He will exalt us in due time. I like what the commentator Scott McKnight says, in submitting to God's will and enduring suffering for the sake of Christ, Christians are undergirded with the knowledge that God cares about them and loves them. Verse 7, part of that same sentence, goes on to say, Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. This is a quote from Psalm 55, 22. We give all of our cares and worries to God because he deeply cares about us and about what happens to us. Carrying all of our worries, anxieties, stresses, and struggles around with us every day shows that we don't fully trust God. It takes humility and trust to hand everything over to God and believe that He cares for us. God is not indifferent to what we're going through. Sometimes we feel that God is far away and distant and that He is unconcerned about us and what we're going through, but this couldn't be further from the truth. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. In Deuteronomy 31, 7 and 8, it says, It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. God is always guiding us and always holding us. Sometimes he may feel far, but God is always near. Casting all of your anxieties denotes an action. We make an active effort to cast our anxieties and our, and our worries on God. Now, casting in this verse means to throw something on something else, like throwing a burden on a donkey so that you don't have to carry it any longer. Now, most of us don't own donkeys, so I guess the modern equivalent is maybe putting your shopping bags in the boot of your car, right? When we cast our anxiety on God, we should leave it there and try not to take the burden back upon ourselves. Worry is useless. There's no need for us to bear these burdens when God is ready and willing to carry them for us. Worry denies the wisdom of God. It says that he doesn't know what he's doing. It denies the love of God. It says that he does not care about us. 
and it denies the power of God. It says that he isn't able to deliver me from whatever is causing me to worry. And worry isn't even the main problem. It's what we do with that worry that's key. Do we hold on to it, making ourselves sick with anxiety and fear? Or do we hand it over to God and trust that he will carry our burdens for us? Moving on to verse 8, Peter says, To be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Even while Christians are casting their cares and worries on God, they must still be watchful and careful and, and, uh, and watch for attacks. As soldiers wait and watch, so we must all be constantly alert for the work of the enemy around us. All persecution facing believers can be tracked down to one source, the devil. He is our great adversary, our enemy. He is the source of all evil in the world. He hates God, and so he hates all of God's people. Like a lion who prowls around looking for sick, young, or straggling animals, and who preys upon victims that are alone or not alert, so the devil looks for his opportunity to pounce on believers when they least expect it. Peter warned believers who were going through persecution to be alert, especially in times of suffering and persecution. When believers feel alone, helpless, weak, cut off from other believers, or that God doesn't care about them, they can become so focused on their troubles that they forget to stay alert for the dangers of attacks. It is in times like these that believers are especially vulnerable to Satan's assaults. Satan usually strikes us when we are most vulnerable, and he hits us where we're weak. Fear, anger, pride, temptation, discouragement, loneliness, worry, persecution, or depression. Satan is always looking to test and destroy the faith of God's children. Therefore, Peter is warning believers to always stay alert for Satan's attacks. In verse 9, Peter says, To resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. How do we resist the devil? We stand firm in our faith through prayer and God's word. We don't have the strength within ourselves to oppose Satan, but as we stand firm in our faith, in our dependence on God, we can resist him. As we continue to move in accord with the truth of God's word, we have the power to resist the, the devil. As a believer learns sound doctrine and obeys God's truth, Satan is withstood. The Bible tells us that Satan is the angelic leader of beings who revolted against God and who were banished from heaven. Satan's primary purpose now is to separate, um, people, separate people from God. Satan works to take as much creation with him as he possibly can. The best way for us to take a stand against Satan and his demons is to be strong in our faith and to hold on to the truth that God has the ultimate victory, despite what the present circumstances tell us. In the second part of that verse, Peter says that we should remember that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. This was meant to encourage his, church, his churches enduring persecution. He is comforting them and saying that they're not alone in their suffering. 
One of Satan's devices is to discourage us with the thought that our sufferings are unique and that we are alone in these experiences. As we pass through the fire of affliction, it's easy to become overwhelmed by the notion that we are the only ones going through suffering like this. Peter disagrees. Peter reminds his churches in Asia Minor via this letter and us through the reading of God's Word that the same sufferings are being experienced by the Christian brotherhood throughout the world. And we must remember God's sovereignty. All of these sufferings, whether back in Peter's day or today, are under God's control and is accomplishing His purpose in the world. Moving on to verse 10, Peter says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Sometimes in our suffering, we feel like it will never end. Peter here gives his readers a wider perspective. In comparison with eternity, their sufferings would only last a little while. Some of Peter's readers would be strengthened and delivered in their lifetime, while others would only be released from their suffering through death. After that time of suffering, God promises to restore confirm, strengthen, and establish his children. This means that God will set right all that has gone wrong. He will put everything back in order again and make everything complete. While suffering only lasts for a little while, glory in Christ will be eternal. Whether we live or die, God's purposes will be accomplished. All of these promises will be fulfilled. Then Peter wraps up this section with a doxology in verse 11. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now this is a fitting doxology from Peter as he ties everything he said together with the thought that since all power is his forever and ever, we can rest on the fact that he will do as he promised. Because God is sovereign and all authority is his, we have nothing to fear. Then to wrap up this letter in uh, verses 12 through 14, which we didn't read, sorry, Parag, my fault. (laughs) Peter says, uh, by Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Now, Silvanus is likely Silas, whom you would know from Acts. Uh, He's mentioned in the book of Acts and also mentioned as accompanying Paul on his second missionary journey. Silas either served as a secretary to Peter in, uh, in writing the letter while Peter dictated it, or Silas actually physically delivered the letter to the churches in Asia Minor. We're not sure which one it is. Peter described the reason for his brief letter, which was to encourage believers and to ensure them that the grace of God would be with them no matter the circumstances. God's grace would help the struggling believers to stand fast, And by doing that, they would receive the reward of that grace, which is glory with Christ. Peter was in Rome when he wrote this letter, and so he says, She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. Babylon was a term that they used for Rome. So basically he's saying, church in Rome says hi. Also, he mentions Mark, my son, also says hello. This is likely the Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark probably with Peter's input. Peter looked on him as a son. And then in verse 14, it says to greet one another with the kiss of love. Now, don't freak out. 
In the, in the aftermath and trauma of COVID, a kiss probably sounds completely outlandish and uncomfortable. Don't worry, this isn't a mandate for us today. A kiss on the cheek was a common greeting in the time of, uh, and culture of Peter's day. But the obligation of brotherly love is the standing order for the church, although the manner of expressing it may vary in various cultures and times. Here it might be a hug, handshake, maybe a high five. Mainly, Peter wanted his churches to express their Christian love with one another because they would need each other in the days ahead. At the end of verse 14, Peter closes with peace to all of you who are in Christ. Peter ends the way he begins in chapter 1, verse 2, with peace. This underscores the fact that Peter knew that, uh, exactly what Christians in turmoil needed the most the peace of Christ. They could not count on worldly peace. Instead, they would need to find peace by resting on God's grace and trusting in His divine providence. Only those who are in Christ can have such peace. It's a peace that, tran that transcends all understanding, as it says in Philippians 4, 6. So that's the ending verses of First. Peter chapter 5. So now let's talk about how we can apply these verses from Peter into our own lives. I have three application points that I'd like to give you this morning. My first point is to be humble. God uses a variety of things to humble us. Sometimes it's difficult circumstances. Sometimes it's people, especially those people who need extra grace and patience. Maybe I'm that person to some of you. Hard to say. I'm certainly that person to park because I didn't give them the right verses today. Sometimes uh, it's tragedy and loss that humbles us. Even though God may not have sent the tragedy your way, he may still able you to, be, you, to use it for uh, our good. As Romans 8.28 says, all things work together for good for those who love the Lord. Our job is to accept the sovereignty of God in our lives. Allowing God to humble us means that we remember that God is in control. Nothing can happen that he is not allowed. When God allows something to happen, he has a purpose for it, and that purpose is always for our good. We must accept all that happens to us without resentment or rebellion against God. Humility means accepting God's rule over us. It means accepting his rule even if we don't understand. It means accepting his rule even when he doesn't give us an explanation. Being humble is against human nature, as we talked about earlier. We don't like to be humbled. It goes against the grain of our pride and of our sense of self-worth. But when we are humbled, when we're made low, and when we're made to see our weakness and frailty, we are forced to depend on God. And that is where God wants us. That's where God can truly use us. I heard a saying once that says that Christians are like a tea bag. They are useless until they go through a little hot water. Write that one down. That's a good one. My second application point is to be dependent. Peter says to cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Pride is the opposite of being humble. Where pride makes us self-reliant, humility helps us to recognize and accept our dependence on God. 
When we are going through difficult times, we need to turn all of those worries and cares back over to the Lord because God is sovereign and he cares for us. As I stated above, humility causes us to see our own weakness, but dependence causes us to recognize and rely on his strength. God sometimes allows difficulties to come into our lives so that he can teach us about our own weakness and about his supernatural strength. In this letter, Peter is telling his churches and us today that dependence on the Lord means that instead of struggling with our cares, our worries, and our anxieties, and complaining about all that God has allowed to come into our lives, we should instead be turning all of those cares back over to him and then accept the truth that he will sustain us because he cares deeply for us. Lastly, my third application point is to be alert. Instead of being anxious, we can be mentally and emotionally calm, knowing that God has us and he is carrying us. But we still have an enemy who wants to use every circumstance in our life to destroy us. We must be alert and aware, knowing that Satan will sometimes use tragedy, persecution, and affliction to drag us down. When we're going through the fire of affliction, we must stay alert to the devil's schemes. When we are tempted, alone, discouraged, and depressed, it's during those times that we need to surround ourselves with brothers and sisters in Christ. We must not neglect being a part of God's church, especially when we're going through difficult times. The devil, who is described in these verses as a roaring lion, is looking to devour and swallow the person who is alone, lagging behind and looking inward. Satan is just waiting for an opportunity to attack you. And though Satan does attack, ultimately we are victorious through Christ. In 2 Timothy 4.18, Paul says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. A small boy went to the zoo with his father. As they, and as they approached the lion enclosure, they could see that the lion was pacing back and forth and was roaring furiously. The small boy was frightened and he clung to his father, but noticed that his father was calm. The boy asked his father, why aren't you afraid of that lion, dad? The father knelt down and said, all you see is the lion. I see the cage that he's in and that's, not, that's why I'm not afraid. Satan is like a lion, yes, but he is a caged lion. He is a defeated foe. Even if Satan wins a battle, Jesus has won the war. That should bring us great comfort. Now, back to the question I posed at the beginning. Does God care about us? I hope that you saw that, that he does through the verses that we talked about today. But if we want to know more about God and, and who he is, the best place for us to go is Scripture. God's word is filled with verses that illustrate his love and care for his people. The Bible explicitly tells us over and over again that God loves us and cares about us deeply. One of the verses in Scripture that Parg read this morning that captures God's heart is found in Psalm 139, where King David writes, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. 
You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. This doesn't sound like a God that's uncaring and distant to me. It sounds like a God who is utterly interested in your deepest details. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus says that God cares enough to number the hairs on our head. Scripture is abundantly clear that God cares intimately for us. As theologian A.W. Tozer once said, whatever may befall us, God knows and cares as no one else can. To conclude today, I want to make sure you understand that one of the most crucial lessons to learn as a Christian is how to handle suffering. This is what basically 1 Peter was about from start to finish. In this fallen world, suffering is assured. But if we can rest in God, if we can depend on Him for our strength to persevere, if we can trust His sovereignty, if we can cast all of our worries and anxieties on Him, if we can trust that He cares for us, then we have the power through Him to endure to the end. If you're suffering today, if you're struggling through the fires of affliction, rest on this. Jesus is coming back. Jesus will set everything right. Jesus will make all things new. Our broken down bodies and our weary weary souls will be transformed into incorruptible glory if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Suffering can do several things in the life of a believer. It can, it can purify us and lead us to a greater holiness of life. It can lead us to a closer dependence on God and His faithful promises to us. Suffering can cause us to look inward and to face those parts of ourselves that we might otherwise ignore, which then God can use to develop us into stronger believers. Suffering causes us to seek the shelter of a community of believers where we can find strength encouragement, and care. Suffering equips us for ministry. Sometimes the things we go through helps us to better understand and care for those who are also going through the same trials. While suffering is hard, God uses it for His glory as He turns us into stronger Christians who put more of our dependence on Him as our Daddy. Pastor and author Max Licato once said, your pain has a purpose. Your problems, struggles, heartaches, and hassles cooperate toward one end, the glory of God. Today, you may be deep in the pit of affliction. Maybe you're suffering suffering through some immense tragedy. Maybe you're dealing with great loss. Maybe you're struggling through thinking that God doesn't care about you. I don't want to minimize what you're going through. Life is hard. It hurts. But if you walk away with anything this morning, please find comfort in the fact that this is not the end for you if you put your faith faith in Jesus Christ. He will sustain you through the trials and he will lift you up in glory when he comes to set everything right. Jesus is coming back. Romans 8.18 says, for I, considering, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
There is a light at the end of this tunnel. But while we are still in the tunnel, remember that God's got this. Regardless of why and how we suffer, we must remember that God knows about our suffering. God cares about our suffering. God is making us more like Him with our suffering. God is making us more dependent on Him through our suffering. And God is at work in our suffering for His glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to develop a humility like Jesus, a humility that trusts in you and follows you without reservation, a humility that depends wholeheartedly on you. Help us to not depend on our own self-sufficiency. Thank you that you care about us so much that you ask us to cast all of our cares and anxieties on you. Thank you for the knowledge that you have promised to carry every anxiety and take us through all of our sufferings. Help us to resist the devil and stand firm in our faith through Christ. Continue to perfect us, confirm us, strengthen us, and establish us until the day when you set everything right again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.